All right, welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Zach Blosting, Chris Nee. Do you just want to get out of the way, fellas? I was wrong this past week. Hey, somebody had to play the, the bad guy. I, uh, I fell on the sword. It was a sacrifice. Uh, I had to be wrong so FSU can live and make it to 4-0. You just got to pick against them from now on. I, th- I well, you think I just pick against them from here on out? Any I don't know that the people will believe you if you do that in those VTech and North Alabama games. Just saying. <laughs> I I did tell myself going into it, I was like, you know what? If they pull this off, I don't know if I can rightfully pick against them the rest of the, the regular season. So um, this was the one game that I thought Florida State had a chance to lose going into it uh, on paper. Or they were more likely to lose, and FSU found a way. They held on. They beat Clemson 31-24 to in overtime. Silence Death Valley. Guys, it was a lot of fun. It was a big win for the Seminoles. They're 4-0 and now, a top five team in the country. Everything is in front of you. It was a, a grindhouse to start off this season. You get a bye week. We can catch our breath. Uh, let's talk about it. Let's talk about where FSU is through four games, the win over Clemson, how that occurred. Uh, but first, a shout-out to our sponsor, Chattanooga Whiskey. They uh, they are crushing it in the craft distillery game. Can't tell you how many people have had to come up to me and, and say how how – Great the experiences of just buying a bottle, visiting the the distillery, um, getting a chance to try it. You guys know I wouldn't steer you wrong when it comes to whiskey, and they do an amazing job at every level of the process, from transparency to what's in the bottle uh, to one of the most unique malting processes out there. We had a a, a very special bottle of their 111 to, to crack open this weekend in celebration of FSU's win. I believe Chris Nee walked inside uh, our, our house when we got back uh, from the Clemson game. And what did you do, Chris? I had a swig. You had a swig right out of the bottle. A nice, rare bottle of Chattanooga whiskey. Uh, only so many of those in the world. It was a distiller pick, and I put his grubby little lips all over it. So It disinfects it itself. <laughs> was it good? It was. Uh, it warmed me. It calmed me at the same time. It was all those beautiful feelings rushing through my body after a glorious overtime victory. Zach, do you want to talk about uh, the hat guy? Do you want to know about that story? Do you want to know about our Bucky's trip? you want to get right into the game? Where do you want you, – you're a man of the people. Where do you want us to go first? I think a lot of people like to hear – I mean, not full uh, Falk in the Road style, but just some of the the road trip stories and and some of the you know press box events that you guys uh, endured, especially with uh, Mr. Hat Slapper himself. All right, so Bucky's, um, we stopped at one in Macon, and Sinone, who we all know has some anxiety issues, as he'll readily admit, Walked in, and it was nut house. And Bucky's is always a nut house, but this one was especially nutty. And my God, Brendan, he, we lost him in the crowd. He couldn't even keep up with the big redneck, Greg Oyster, all six foot eight of them. And it, it just, like, Brendan came out six, seven minutes later after getting his barbecue sandwich and was the most frazzled human ever. I don't know if he'll ever step foot in uh, Bucky's after that oh, experience. I will not. I saw a woman almost get hit by a car on the way in. Uh, I was almost, like, trampled about a dozen times in there. I will say the barbecue sandwich, having it going down fine way out. I did not eat great this weekend. And that's the only thing that gave me heartburn. So Bucky's uh, you are uh, in the tent of suspicions. I'm watching you very closely from here on out. Not a big fan. Um, I, I still got love for Bucky's. All right. And if they want to sponsor the podcast, I'll, I'll change my tune. I'm sure. Um, do we get to Clemson? Clemson uh, for our audience. I imagine like a good chunk of you guys have been there at some point or another, but if not, it is rural. It's tough to get to. Um, FSU is actually about 15 minutes late from when they wanted to arrive. I think they come in from like Greenville area. It's about 45 minutes away. But once you get into like around the campus in Clemson, it, it doesn't really matter how you're getting there. Everything's one lane roads. And so like if it's backed up in traffic, it's backed up in traffic. Nothing you can do. Um, long winding roads, very hilly, very rural. It's cool. It's just, it's different. It's not like a whole lot of other universities out there. So the fan base, I think kind of at least portions of it lives up to what you would think that would then be like. And we had some of those fans uh, very close to us in the open air press box, Zach. Uh, it's an open air press box. Only two of those that we usually see on the schedule, Clemson and Florida. But the difference here is like the fans, they can turn around and touch you. Um, and I don't think they tried to touch us, but they kept turning around throughout the game, three of them, uh, to let us know that they were aware of our presence and that we were FSU writers because uh, they kept turning around and making like little mimicking, hacking, you know, typing on the keyboard signs and like just kept staring at us throughout the entire game. It was bizarre. It was weird. 
And one of the guys was just a complete ass uh, to the point like where the women in front of him were kept turning around. It's like sorority girls were like, stop it. You're embarrassing yourself. They were just screaming at him. It was, it was a whole deal. Uh, and then overtime happened, Zachary. Overtime happened. FSU scored first. I saw some surrender Cobra after the Keon Coleman touchdown. But, you know, they still had hope. They still thought Clemson could pull this off. Uh, and then fourth and two happened after that beautiful uh, play call on third and one to the perimeter. Um, they did not like that either, I will say. Uh, and, and the slant pattern, you know, live by the slant, die by the slant. I think Pat Payton got a hand on it. Regardless, Ventral Cypress was in good position. FSU have it covered up. Ball game. Well, the, the Clemson fan that had kept turning around looking at us the entire game took his hat and just started beating the hell out of it anywhere he could, slamming it, throwing it down, uh, picked it back up, did it again, uh, and then was just quiet for like uh, the remainder of the time that we were up in the press box for about five minutes. He didn't move. It was awesome. They did not rush the field. Uh, it had been a while. Chris, how long had it been since Florida State had, had won in Death Valley? 13? 13. Oh, yeah. yeah. It got, the last it got time they lost by what, more than one in Death Valley was 13. I mean – you can go look at the final notes and stats. There's a whole lot of numbers that are pretty interesting about how good Clemson has been at home in the current college football playoff era. And, uh, you know, FSU is the one that ended that for them. They had a 25-game ACC home winning streak. They had, I think, prior to what, South Carolina last year, it was like a 40-game overall home winning streak. They don't lose there a lot. It just doesn't happen. And I know this year's Clemson isn't your daddy's Clemson, but they're still pretty damn good. Um very yeah, capable uh, football team that gave FSU plenty of problems. Apparently, speaking of not your dad's Clemson, apparently, you know, beating Clemson on the road isn't what it used to be. Uh, FSU fell in both the coaches' poll and the AP poll. So. Yeah, I mean, it's because Ohio State so dominated Notre Dame in that game, winning on the last freaking play when Notre Dame can't even count to 11. But, and, you know, Notre, yeah. and, Notre, and Notre Dame's had some great wins, too. Yeah. No. All right, let's get into the actual game itself. Um, it was not a pretty game. It was not FSU's A game by any stretch, uh, but they made plays when they had to, right? And I think that's yeah. going to be a theme that we're going to talk about today. And yeah, the I don't want to in the left column instead of the right column. You found a way to win, survive in advance, and this is in the context of like September was a tough, tough slate. Like it was, it was tough, and there's plenty of, of opportunities for adversity, and the team found a way consistently. So in the full context of like. Where FSU is through four games, four and zero. Oh. Um, like, like yeah, we we can be nitpicking. We're gonna. I don't even think it's nitpicky. Like, we're gonna talk about things that don't feel necessarily great, and we're gonna have more time to kind of think about that throughout the bye week. Like, we're viewing this football program through the prism of it competing for a playoff spot, winning ACC, winning. I just malfunction, winning an ACC championship game, uh, and then. You know, potentially uh, doing something else in the playoffs. Like that's that's what we're viewing it through that that prism, that scope. Uh, so we will have moments of where it may sound critical, uh, but really we're we're trying to vet like where can this team go. But ultimately, like you found a way to win, and like I don't want to dismiss that. I don't want to glance over that. A glance over that, it's significant. So FSU starts the game off not very good. They get down ten nothing, and they get down seventeen seven. So you're trailing by yeah you know, on the road at Clemson by ten points twice in the first half. Uh, initial thoughts, Chris, the way FSU kind of came out of the gate, uh, offensively a little shaky, defensively, outside of that first series, not good at all. Because what were we seeing experiencing in the first uh, half of play? Well, it held true for the entire game. They could not run the ball. They were ineffective in doing so. I think they had one counter that they had true success on. Other than that, they really never ran the ball effectively on the entirety of the day. Ran for about two dozen yards total on the day. Um, in the passing game, it was pretty also consistent throughout the game. They were being allowed to throw shots. They were getting a lot of one-on-ones on the outside with Coleman and Wilson. That's why they targeted the two guys, 25 out of 42 total targets in the game. You know, it's why a majority of the incompletions in the game were targets to those two individuals. They also were ultra productive in the sense of putting up, what, 176 receiving yards and two touchdowns as a combo. So, you know, it was kind of like that's Clemson willing to give that to you. You took it. You tried to do it. I don't think JT is close to 100% personally. Um, he doesn't look ultra comfortable throwing the ball. He certainly didn't look like he was a willing runner against Clemson, and I think Clemson's a team where a quarterback should be a willing runner, should be part of the game plan. I think they were protecting Jordan, maybe not allowing him to do that a whole lot, um, which I know caused some angst among some and certainly was frustrating in both the initial watch and a rewatch of the game. There were opportunities there for him to pull and go, and it just they weren't going to do it. There were a few, not many. Don't get smirky, Brendan. 
I, 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 there was opportunities for him to maybe scramble a few times. I don't think there were a whole lot of uh, – Clemson had at least one defender, if not sometimes two, kind of uh, covering the backside of, of read options. But it felt like Clemson reached a point where they just did not expect it to happen. No. Well, yeah, I mean, they had someone dedicated to it the entire time. There have been times, to be fair, in the past where if there was sometimes a single defender there, Jordan would still pull and um, make something magical happen. And that was not on the table. Second half rollout to the right side, I believe to Clemson's side. He has a lead blocker. He decides to throw vertically. I believe it was to Johnny, if I recall correctly, incomplete. He can take that one and gain a handful of yards. It would have been a more effective, more higher percentage play than the attempted throw on the run. Um, and defensively, I mean, they got they got killed by slants. They were they were allowing the underneath leverage. Clemson was taking it at times. They were too soft. Uh, the touchdown drive by Clemson just before the half was about as bad as defense can be played by this group from a talent standpoint. They just were very soft. It got kind of run right through, and it was switch cheese. And uh, they did adjust. They improved from that. Uh, Brendan, in his well, recap yeah, we'll that ran this morning. The blitz percentage drastically changed from first to second half. The effectiveness of that change, the triggering downhill on slants and being more aggressive, also having situational awareness, that came about. That was noticeable. I thought FSU in general was pretty good against the run. Phil Moffa obviously had the 45-46 yarder. Shipley had one for about 16 after that. Klubnik had one for 17 earlier than those two. Those were really the only three significant runs they allowed to a pretty good running Clemson team. So in general, I thought the run defense was good on the day. I thought the pass defense was more concerning of the two on that side of ball. And then special teams, you know, Masho had the 33-yarder. That was one you want to get rid of. But in general, he punted very well on the day. And the one he put inside the five was phenomenally well done. And Fitz has stayed perfect on the season, done his job. So, you know, FSU didn't play an A game. Heck, I don't know if they played a low B game. They might have played a C game on the day. But they made enough plays. They hung around. Clemson gave them enough opportunities and in their sense of not doing everything super effectively either. And, you know, FSU won and ended that streak. And that's a tough place to win. Streaks are kind of one of those things, especially when it's against a really good team, sometimes tough to break because it plays against you, I think, from a mentality standpoint, from a pressure standpoint. And FSU left Death Valley with a victory. But, yeah, certainly not their most pretty affair on the day. So FSU went into halftime down 17-14. Zach, how were you feeling at that time of – you're the you're the prior student or the more recent student, so you've you've been to games, uh, both covering them and then as a fan as well. So I want to get like the emotional aspect. Like you're seeing FSU down by three points. Do you feel okay with where they're at? Are you anxious? How are you feeling in that moment as we go into the second half? Well, I mean, honestly, that's probably the best I felt all throughout the first half. Um, I think they they finished the half pretty strong, right? Like they score towards the end there um to make it a three-point game Patrick Payton gets that sacked in the half and I think that kind of helped FSU win the the latter portion of of that first half and and you know obviously it didn't feel great um the defense was not impressive at all in the first half I thought um they kind of got pushed around especially on that one drive um you, know, you guys talked about it but like just not not impressive effort by the defense in the first half, in my opinion. Um, I thought some of the substitutions were weird, but you know they they kept it to a three point game, and I think you know you will get into the second half, but I think there was a turning point. Like it felt like both the offense and defense kind of went in separate directions in the second it, half. It, it did. It's the offense you know scores on two drives in the first half uh, and had some like had at least one other drive like you're able to move the ball so you felt like okay with what the offense was doing against yeah. that defense. I think I'm with you like that. The defense is what felt so almost sickening in the first half and like as I'm covering the game, I'll follow this running metric stat device called Game on Paper and it's a really cool website and Kev uh, showed that to me last year and I love it because uh, it shows you like more in depth idea of what the game looks like from win probability to expected points added. And it'll show like how the team's performing in a percentile basis in these categories compared to like the national average during the season. And Clemson's offense was operating in between 94th and 97th percentile and expected points added per play and explosive play rate and then success rate. So basically you were combining being explosive on offense with being efficient on offense. If you're Clemson and Florida state was allowing that to happen. 
I use the word allow because it very much so felt like it. It was a soft patty cake type of scheme going into it. There wasn't a ton of blitzing. When you did blitz, it was like generally soft blitzing. You weren't attacking. Um, and that was the thing we were talking about. Like we talked about this on the podcast last week was that Cade Klubnik did not have a ton of like downfield throws and he struggled even proportionately, like all quarterbacks struggle under pressure compared to when they have a clean pocket, but even proportionately, he went from being a good quarterback, a well above average one when he had a clean pocket to being well below average when he was pressured comparatively. And you didn't get in his face at all. You didn't force him to be uncomfortable. And so Clemson was able to do what it wanted to do. That third drive scoring drive they had, I think it was the fourth drive of the game uh, where they had, they got Byron Turner on a wheel pattern one-on-one and then also was able to get some pretty nice chunk plays, including a touchdown on similar concepts they had run earlier uh, in the game as well. Uh, It just, it felt like Clemson was being able to do whatever it wanted, both schematically, personnel wise, and Florida State didn't have many answers. So that takes us into the second half. Go ahead, Chris. So uh, to add to the coverage discussion, AZ Thomas, Spencer Cypress, those two were definitely picked on uh, per PFF. And I agree with this based off watching it. AZ Thomas, four or five completions on him for 56 yards, 27 yards after the catch. He led the team and from a percentage standpoint for someone who was targeted that much and for a yak standpoint after the play. He was super soft, especially on that touchdown drive on one of the slants and just got picked on. Greedy Vance had a bad moment. He got targeted twice, gave up 41 yards on both completions. You know, Fentrell was also bad on the day. I thought he was better in the second half than the first half, but five of eight on targets on him for 43 yards, 14 yards after the catch. The longest he allowed was 12. So most of that was basically just allowing a completion, not a whole lot after, um, which you can live with, but you don't want to live with it as often as FSU lived with it on the day. Um, and then, you know, Byron Turner, pass coverage, Chris Cash Mario Edwards flashbacks. Not comfortable <laughs> with that. Chris, before the game, you had mentioned to to someone in the press box like that you wanted to see a more aggressive game plan. And I think you uttered the words, you'd be fine with the Todd Grantham uh, angry blitz and yeah, yeah yeah i don't i don't need it every down but yeah i Klubnik is not a great under pressure passer and yes he's capable with his legs but he's nowhere near the athlete that picked on fsu in week one or week three with their legs um so yeah i i, I was here for amping up the numbers allowing man coverage especially with antonio williams unavailable for clemson mm-hmm. you know let bo collins go trying to beat try and beat you let a Browning stool tight end, you know, let him try to beat it. They don't have other than Shipley, they don't have a guy offensively who I feel like can individually beat you consistently, consistently over a game. So yeah, play with the getting numbers game and be more aggressive going forward. And I felt like FSU did that in the second half. But in the first half, it wasn't even so much the aggressiveness that was disappointing. It was the coverage was soft. They didn't really adjust very well. And yeah, they allowed drives to sustain, and that's been kind of a poison thing for FSU through four games. So we get to the second half, and this is a focal point in this podcast because I think it really dictates terms of the game. And that's what you dictated terms of the game on defense. You really shifted the way Clemson wanted to. About damn time. (laughs) And here's the thing, like, for context, like, I think part of it, and I'd love to, when hopefully this week we get to talk to Adam Fuller, but I think part of it is, like, the defense likes to not show a ton in the first half and try to kind of, not survive, but like you're okay conceding some stuff. And then you can kind of start really unfolding like with your game plan in the second half. Like, I think that's a, I think that's something that we consistently see from them, but this was a staggering contrast. Like the splits were much different than normal. Like usually it's like a 20% blitz rate to like a 30% blitz rate or something like that in the second half uh, for for Adam Fuller defenses. This went from 10% blitz rate in the first half to 40% blitz rate in the second half. That's absurd. And it had its in, intended effect, too. Like, I think that's what's really important uh, is that you were able to force Kate Klubnik to get rid of the ball faster. Uh, his his time to throw went down by like a tenth or excuse me, tenth, half of a second. It went from like about three seconds per, per play to two point five or no, it went from two point five to two. That's yeah. huge. Like that's 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 seismic. That is a I mean, half a second in the world of football uh, could be an eternity. The time to pressure went from like 2.2 seconds to 1.8. Like that's significant as well. The passer rating for Cade Klubnik went down 170 to like 100. Uh, And those are numbers I'm throwing at you. 
but you guys all saw it, right? Like you didn't, you don't necessarily even need the numbers. You saw him be less comfortable. And when he did beat you, he beat you with some big boy throws. He's going to be a good quarterback over time. This is what his like sixth or seventh career start. Like he will be a problem for you by this time next year. Like I, I promise like he, he will be good, um, but you were able to, to make him uncomfortable uh, and you were able to allow your defense to play fast. And it wasn't even like sometimes guys, they didn't even blitz. And it was just they allowed Josh Farmer to pin his ears back and go, or they let the defensive ends go after it sometimes. Like they they decided to be aggressive. They were going to concede, like, okay, maybe he scrambles sometimes. That's fine. Uh, they're not going to beat us vertically, even if we we leave guys on island. That's not what they're going to do today. Let's force him to go ahead and make big time throws. He made a couple on that on that second drive of the first half. And other than that, like uh, the quarterback became more of a, a more or less a non-factor. Uh, and that takes us to the play of the game, maybe the play of the season so far. Uh, and that is the Kalen Deloach uh, sack force fumble. And then um, the fumble recovery for 56 yards, which by the way, like uh, Braden Fisk, it wasn't intentional, but he looked like a big European basketball player doing like a little quick pass, like a Vita Sabonis getting in the, in the, in the paint and then just throwing it behind his shoulders as someone cutting in. He was a little, little, little touch pass to the Kalen Deloach. What do we got Zach? Buyer Sinone, sponsored by the Turner, the Turner Group. Yeah. Um, Braden Fist scores if he picks up that fumble. No, no. probably not. It, it worked out well. It's that Sinone, it got guys. Oh, Sinone. It's a Sinone. You're right. Sorry, Sinone. Colin. Yeah. I'm buying it. What? He, he practices every day for that moment. Think about it. Norvell oh, races. Oh, the race. Oh, what a, such a good story. But, hey, Kalen Deloach being the guy who got the – Yeah, he deserved it. Yeah, I mean, this dude has been through it. Um, he, uh, frankly, like, I, I think there was a point in, in time where he was con- contemplating whether he was going to fit in this program. He'd gotten benched and was not playing for the coach who recruited him, uh, but he stayed, he toughed it out. Uh, and he gets that moment. Zach, what's going on in your mind as you're seeing that play developing on TV? Cause it felt in person, man, it felt like it took an eternity for him to get there from about 15 yards away. Yeah. I just, I could not believe that they didn't pick it up. It felt like, like you said, like it felt like it was the most long-winded blitz I've ever seen. Like he was coming from like the opposite side of the field. It was, it was nuts. I mean, I couldn't believe that that not not only did he, um, you know, he had perfect placement on the hit, right? Like it knocked the ball right out of his hand. But that bounce, um, we've seen a lot of bounces not go Florida State's way over the past however many years, and and you know when it counted most, it did, and and it was just awesome that that. Kalen got to make the play and then got to capitalize on it with, with that long touchdown return. And, and it, and it kept Florida state in the game, man. Like if you don't score that touchdown, are, are we talking about a FSU win here? Like I, the offense couldn't get anything going in the second half. They absolutely needed that. And it was just such a mon monumental play. Um, and it kind of, I think gave life to FSU's defense to continue that success that they were showing, um, in that second half and, and, you know, lead the team into overtime. It felt like a seismic moment. I, I think I leaned into maybe to play prior, or even maybe before that snap of like, yeah, Clemson's got a chance to really distance himself in this game and make it where it's really going to be difficult for FSU to come back, barring the offense, just hitting high octane, big plays. And in a game where FSU, I, I think they finished with like 15 hurries, six hits, three sacks. So they pressured a good bit. But there are a lot of instances of getting near Klubnik, him getting yeah. rid of it, and it not happening. Watching Deloach come, and it felt like it took a solid three seconds. It, it felt like, man, he's going to be so close, but this ball's going to get out of there. And then when as he hit him, and he didn't just hit him, he went through him. And you're watching it develop, and you're like, man, it's just it, football's a wild game. Like it so felt like a play prior, like that thing was slipping through FSC's hands and going yeah. away, and all of a sudden. Everybody's rejuvenated. The entire sidelines back into it. The fan base and the stands, which was very good from an FSU standpoint, they're going ape shit. I mean, it was awesome. It was one of those moments where you're like, you know, big games, big moments. That's it. You know, that Keon Coleman later in the game, those are those moments. You only get so many of them. You only get so many opportunities. If you cash them in while you win football games and FSU's 4-0 because Kalen Deloach made that play. And I don't know if they're 4-0 if he doesn't make that play. Plain and simple. I think the win probability rate went from like 70% in Clemson's favor to 70% in FSU's favor on that one play. Like those are the plays that, that change games and maybe change seasons. I just realized they, they had, they've had defensive touchdowns. 
what the last two times they've been to Clemson, the Jermaine Johnson. Yeah, strip Jermaine had the, the last yeah. fumble return for a touchdown was Jermaine Johnson in Clemson. Wow. Obviously, earlier this season, he had Jerry and getting one directly yep. in the chest that he returned for a touchdown. So FSU's had two in that regard this season, which is good. Um, you know, all in all, I thought FSU's defense played a good overall game. Yeah. There were excruciating moments, especially in the first half, but I, I thought pressure was good. As I just referenced, they had about 15 pressures on the day hurries, um, hit them plenty, sacked them a few times. Again, as I said earlier, I feel like they did a fairly good job against the running game with a team with very good backs, especially in Shipley. I thought they did a phenomenal job with Shipley, who I think is a hell of a football player. Moffa had the one big one he broke, and you know we can go back and dissect that, and FSC could have done a better job, but it's one run at the end of the day. Um the thing that I liked about the defense is I felt like they kind of just played with a little more fire in their belly as that game wore on. I think plays like the Loaches obviously feed into that. Being aggressive feeds into that. But they just kind of they, they brought it consistently and they made big plays when they had to down the stretch. Yeah, they, they can be such a better unit than they've been through four games. We all know that. The D-line can perform at a much higher level than I would say it has through four games on this season. But, like, we saw flashes of Patrick Payton being better than I think he had been in any game this yeah. season. Jared Verse didn't have a sack again, and I know people are going to keep banging on that drum of no sacks with him. He was excellent in this football game. He played a really, really good football game. I thought Brandon Fist turned in the best performance he has this season. I thought Malcolm the linebackers – played really well, too, on the yeah. team. Like, the trenches brought it. Bethune and Deloach, I thought, both played a very good game. You know, some of the stuff with defense and not to veer away from the game too much, but, like, at some point, I think the substitution pattern has to get itself yeah, figured I gonna, out. I was going to ask. Stick that. with dudes that are doing a good job. Quit rotating the guys. Get them experience when you're playing Clemson in that Valley just, in a tight game. Just don't do it. I'm, I think the biggest thing with the the substitutions is why are you substituting entire backup rotations on the D line together? Like, why I, not just? I think the goal is to, uh, and I agree with you, Zach. To some degree, I think the goal ultimately is to have the team fresher in the fourth quarter and yeah, get them opportunity. That makes sense, but, but sometimes you just got to power through it. And but there have been too many enough to get through that. Yes, I agree with you. And and four games into a season, one would hope they are, and your depth is still pretty good on that side of ball as far as guys not being banged up. Four games into a season, you need to know who is your A team that can go out there and either get you the moment you need to get because you're trying to win this game or put the game away for you. Once the game's put away and you're comfortably in position, then sure, feel free to empty the bench. But there, I, I've been aggravated by the substitution pattern in all four games. I was especially aggra- aggravated in Chestnut Hill, and there were moments again on Saturday where I felt like we did a disservice to ourselves as it, a football team by going about some It felt like they. It felt like on that drive where Clemson went up 17 or got 17 points on the board, it felt like – 17 to 7. Yeah, it felt like FSU gave them that drive because of the substitutions they made. Like, they had Byron Turner and Gilbert, Gilbert Edmond in at the same time for most of that drive, and it just didn't make a lot of sense to me. Like, I understand the D-tackle rotation is deep, and you feel comfortable about rotating those guys in. So I'm not super worried about that. But it's more so like, that's, you know, that's, you that's you got to be able to, to stop that. Like, that that's yeah. not a good time to substitute both of your backup DNs, where you feel really great about your starting rotation at that position and a lot less great about the guys behind them. And I understand that you're trying to save, you know, reps towards the end of the game for, for those guys that you feel really good about, but it just didn't make a lot of sense to me because against Boston college, like you said, Chris, it felt like they did some of that and it led to a lot of Boston college's success uh, on offense. And they did it again. Yeah, they did it again against Clemson with the same result. And this is not something that's new. Like we've seen this in past years um, with Adam Fuller's defenses. I just, I think, I don't understand why they can't just do more of a a spot substitution, especially um, at the end, because I'm not a huge fan of when you're digging into the depth of that position right now, um, especially against an opponent like Clemson. Yeah. The the drive when Clemson is working. They're backed up in their own end zone. They get a first down. They end up having a punt, and then FSU has to. And then I think that's when the uh, around the the weird um, some of the weird special team stuff kind of started and manifested itself in, the, in that range. But like that drive starts, if I'm not mistaken, like with Omar Graham out there. Mm-hmm. And I, listen, I don't have an issue with like you wanting to work Omar Graham into a game for a couple of series, but 
And that moment when you have a chance for like a safety or to get them off the field backed up, and if they punt it and you get the ball at your 50, your chances of scoring go up exponentially because you have a short field. Like, and I don't want to single out one player. I guess that's what I'm doing. That's not my intent. I'm just more like, why aren't you going with your like maximum players in that yeah. exact moment? And then you listen, if they get a first down or two and you, then you sub in later and like you, you figure yeah. it out. But like, there's times where like you have, to put premium players in the game. And I think they, they have a script that they follow. I guess it'll be another good thing to ask Adam about uh, this week, hopefully, but like, yeah. Are there some, some substitutions you would like back? I, I would imagine so. Yeah. I mean, you have put there Deloach and then you have Lundy, but you're putting your four guy out there and I understand you want him to develop and this program is very much about development. It's been a good aspect of this program under the guidance of the current crew. Right. But I feel like there's plenty of games on the schedule where you can go about that development. Yeah. I don't know if Death Valley in certain positions where you're about to go down 10 is that moment. That, that's all I'm going to – that's how I'll yeah. wrap up that. I, I, think that, I think that's fair. I don't think what we're saying is unreasonable. It's and it's, It might come off as nitpicky, but, like, this is a team with championship aspirations. You're a top-five program right now. Like, we are viewing it through that prison. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Uh, before we kind of talk about what shifts at the end of the game and overtime – Zach, I'm going to throw this to you real quick. It's in the private chat if you need to look at it. Let them know who this segment is sponsored by. This segment of On the Bench is brought to you by Football Coach College Dynasty with a 95% positive rating on Steam. Steam! College Dynasty is the ultimate college football management game for PC. Be a coach. Create game plans. Call plays. Recruit players. My favorite part. Develop your team and compete for national championships. Feature it, it features everything you love about college football right now, including conference realignment, school boosters, official visits for recruits, the transfer portal, and even NIL. Football Coach College Dynasty is available on Steam right now for $11.99. Um, like I said before, it's, it's uh, only available right now on PC. They're aiming to release a Mac version of the game within the next year or so. It is a fun game. It is a time warp in the best way possible. So uh, I yeah. highly, highly recommend a game, not just because they're a sponsor. It is a ton of fun. All right. So let's talk about some of the other happenings in the second half and that get us into overtime. Specifically, let's talk about the offense because it, it felt like the defense turned things around and you had a chance to really put Clemson away uh, and, and you didn't do it. And uh, there's a variety of reasons why Chris talked about the run game. Uh, it is problematic at this point. Like it is, I was wrong two weeks ago against Southern Miss and it didn't look great. I'm like, oh, they found a way to do it. I wasn't panicking. Um, now I'm at the point, and I know it's a good Clemson defense and they start stacking the box, uh, but you had 22 rushing yards. I think 31 uh, is what it was uh, with sack uh, adjusted numbers. It's just, it's not, it's not good enough. FSU's yard per carry before contact average was minus one yards against Clemson. Well, that's sinking. That means you were on average getting hit a yard behind the line of scrimmage. And And I know it's not sustainable to win football at a high level. Folks are, you know, last week it felt like Benson was taking the brunt of the blame. This week it feels like the O-line's taking the brunt of the blame. I think the reality is it's all parties involved. Are running back tracks great? No, not always. Is the O-line blocking very well? No. There's guys that are struggling. Jeremiah Byers had a miserable day. And, yeah, I'm the fan club president. I'll own that. He had an awful day. He, he was got benched. benched for all intents and purposes. Darius Washington came in, man of many hats, and did a very serviceable job down the stretch and helped FSU. Now, O-line, in the conversation on the O-line, I think it's fair to say they've been pretty damn good at pass blocking this year. You know, yeah. I think they've been better at that than they were a season ago. They've been far worse at run blocking. It's will so weird come to me. I don't know. So I weird. think it still will. Like, you know, we watch them do it a hell of a lot in practice. And practice isn't, you know, full bore, everybody trying to kill each other like a game is. So it's a little tougher to judge running game versus passing game in the sense of can they get it done? But, like, it doesn't look discombobulated like a mess in practice by any stretch. And in games, it does. A lot of bodies in the wrong place. A lot of guys not get to where they need to get to as far as spot. Guys not, you know, basically – putting hat on hat on right guy as far as the blocking scheme of it. And then running backs chopping steps, taking weird paths, looking uncomfortable to hit a hole, looking to lack confidence that a hole is going to develop for them to hit and like running full board towards that hole, almost waiting for it to develop. And well, if it doesn't, you're going to get sucked down for a loss instead of maybe surging forward and breaking something. 
It's just it's a mess. At some point, it's got to find a rhythm. It's got to find you know more to it. FSU needs to be on the field for more offensive plays than they have been the last two weeks. They've kind of had a keep away situation for them. You know, Trey Benson's leading the running back room, leading all guys rushing the ball with ten rushes per game. So that's but, great if you're rushing for a clip of eight per rush, but like there's no rhythm being created. In and, that and Benson's a rhythm runner too. I yeah. think that's it. And real quick, I thought we saw some good signs from Trey Benson. I thought he ran hard when he had some some windows and some. And there weren't a ton of them, but like I yeah, thought he ran excellent screenplay too by him. Yep, he was breaking tackles and finishing runs. And like, okay, that's that's progress. Zach, you were gonna say something? What what the dichotomy of the pass blocking run blocking is weird to you? Yeah, it just felt like it was going to be opposite this season. I thought they were going to struggle with pass blocking and and their strength would be run blocking. It felt like, especially with the offensive line transfers they brought in, like a Casey Roddick, Keandre Jones, like I thought those two guys would be much better run blockers than pass blockers. And and maybe they are just, it feels, the offense as a whole feels weird. And like, Mm -hmm. I know we're going to get into that. But the run game, like that's just been a staple of Mike Norvell's offenses forever. Like not not even just at Florida State. Like we've what we've documented. Like it, I mean, his run game at Memphis was awesome. So it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I'm sure a lot of what the bye week is going to be for Florida State is going to be figuring that out. Are they going to expand? Kind of obviously they they kind of base out of that counter formation. Are they going to expand on that? Are they going to try new? like new things um, when it comes to the running game. Like I think you kind of have to at this point. I mean, they, uh, they tried outside zone and they weren't very good at that. Um, just, it's weird them. to me. Like it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like from a personnel standpoint, like you lost last year, Dylan Gibbons. Um, so maybe like he was just a huge strength in your running game last year. And, and you're missing that. Like I, it just doesn't make a, a whole lot of sense to me uh, as to why they're struggling so much. And, and, are, and it makes are. sense, like, in the Clemson game. Like, Sorry for cutting you off. It makes sense in the Clemson game, like, to an extent. Um, Clemson's run defense, I think, is going to be an elite unit um, this year. But, like, against BC, uh, even, you know, in their first quarter into second quarter against Southern Miss, like, doesn't make a, a ton of sense why why they're struggling so much. It's alarming. Like it's, yeah, this is not us dismissing it at this point. This is us saying oh, there's enough evidence through four games where I think they're frustrated by it. Like, I don't think this is a, like us uh, overanalyzing it and, and making a, a mountain out of a molehill. Like this is something that needs to get better and gets corrected. And I'm with you, Zach. I think that this bye week will be spent on possibly shifting personnel or figuring out like, okay, what's working, what's not. You mentioned not having Dylan Gibbons and Dylan was very serviceable and solid, very smart. I think that helped out a lot too. Knew where to be. Uh, and, and my last year, I mean, you had him for two full seasons um, by the end of it. And so you kind of like, he knew what he was doing. Um, I think we've seen through four games, a lot of new pieces. Uh, Casey Roddick, this is new to him. This, the scheme, Jeremiah Byers, this is new to him. Bless Harris. Uh, well, he's been very good in pass pro. Like this is only what his, fifth career start he's had under his belt now in this offense. So new to him, Darius Washington's played admirably and we saw how, how well he was at right tackle, but like he's been the center of the two previous weeks and that was his second and third career start respectively at center. So like there is some of that, I think that is a, that is a legit real thing. Like guys are figuring it out. Um, but like uh, there needs to be better, even just like in when you're, forget even like being in the right place or like, I mean, that's all important and that's what's going to matter in executing the scheme, but just go ahead and, and winning a rep. Like, yeah. Be the that, tougher one. That needs to happen. Keandre Jones, like he does some really good stuff in the run game. His, his get off isn't necessarily very good. Um, the first step has hurt them. And there was, I put a clip of it uh, yesterday. Uh, one of the outside zone runs where he just doesn't get off uh, the line of scrimmage fast enough. And that creates a, a log jam for everyone else. So like, um, yeah, uh, the impact you thought you were going to have from your three transfers, I don't think has occurred to that point. I, I think you miss Robert Scott of just him being stable and solid and knowing where he's going to be. Uh, Marie Smith did not look like he was hundred percent against Clemson. So all those things are factors, but you know, what would really help out the run game guys. Hitting your the line shot. blocking effectively. Well, the, yeah, yes. The, yeah. The, the offensive line blocking effectively would be the first. That's not this. the answer you wanted. Uh, it was not. Uh, that was my fault hitting your deep shots would soften up a ton of what the defenses are, are doing to you. And Clemson, 
basically by the end of the game said, we will put a single high safety up there. BC did this a lot. Uh, and, and Southern Miss did it in a different way. But basically, they the last three weeks now, teams have allowed you to get a lot of one-on-ones, deep shots to Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, and they've been content with you taking it. And they've dared Jordan Travis to do it. And Jordan said after the game he felt disrespected by Clemson because they kept giving one-on-ones to his outside wide receivers and daring him to make it. Uh, I am one of the biggest fans of Jordan Travis out there. I turned changed my tune with him very, very early on. Uh, when I didn't think he was a capable quarterback and I saw the, that all materializing. So I'm, that's my caveat of saying, like, I'm a big fan of Jordan Travis. Clemson dared him to do a thing, and he wasn't able to do it consistently, especially in the fourth quarter, and they became infatuated with it. And that was problematic. That almost cost Florida State. Jordan had seven passing attempts of 20 yards downfield in the fourth quarter. It wasn't like you were chucking the ball around failing, right? Like you, you were trying to go in for kill shots. Uh, but you could have just methodically moved the ball down the, the field, and that would have been just as serviceable. Clemson dared you to. Uh, you guys ever play pickup basketball, and you leave a guy who's not making his three-pointers open? There's a reason why they're giving it to you. Uh, Jordan completes one of those 20-yard passes in the fourth quarter, uh, and he goes on and completes the one that really mattered in, in overtime, and credit to that, and that dude is tough, and I don't think he was 100%, and he had some really gutsy, gritty moments. Uh, but, but, yeah, the deep shot needs to be a part of this offense, it's currently not operating anywhere near where they need it to be. It's too predictable, I think. Well, they're spreading around. Um, okay, so Jordan's passing direction numbers from the Clemson game. He was two, 4 of 11, 20 and over. He was 2 of 5 to the right. Obviously, one of those is a game winner. 1 of 4 to the left, 1 of 2 to the middle. The 1 of 2 to the middle, I believe, is a 41-yard shot to open the second half the first play in the second half offensively for FSU. Two weeks in a row, they've hit similar plays to Johnny Wilson in that. Uh, on the next level, 10 to 20, he was a total of 5 of 13. So, you know, anything over 10 for him in this game, not particularly impressive. That's what, 9 of 24 overall, over 10-yard passes for him. He usually hits at a much higher rate, especially that intermediate. He hits more around about 50% vertically deep. And he just simply didn't in this game. And he hasn't for the season. Those numbers are down season over season for him overall, despite the personnel being more equipped, better to actually take those kinds of shots. Yeah. And I, I will say, like, a little caveat in Jordan Travis's defense. I think the the refs did not call two egregious penalties. One, the Keon Coleman hold at the end of the game. Um Nate Wiggins held him on that route. Like it was the, the one was, where it ends up with the jump yeah, ball with the two defenders. With the jump ball yeah. too. Like it, it was hurt. probably not a good decision to throw that ball. But that's where like he would have been open. Like he Keon would have been open if yeah. he didn't. And he get probably held. throws that ball hoping to get the pi too. It was blatant. Yeah. Uh, it, that was blatant. You're not the, calling a pi at that point in the game, but the series before Clemson you called got it on Bernardo. Seconds after. Fifteen seconds. Late. I mean, yeah. maybe they just called it. They take so. Oh boy, I'm sorry. That one. Oh flew. boy. All right, hang on. Um, I that one that. flew out, but they take so long sometimes to call it. Who knows? Maybe they just finally called it. Yeah, I just sorry. I think uh, the the five second delay on the Renardo Green, and it was pi on Renardo. That's the funniest thing about that play to me. It was pi, but, he, but, it but took even five then, seconds. Yeah, but even then, like Bo Collins literally wrapped his arm around him. Like it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't egregious. Like he it wasn't egregious. I, I think if it the happened, receiver did a good job of creating a contact to have the penalty yes. called on them. But also the Jaheim Bell one, like that was that was equally as egregious. Like he it, could Jaheim Bell could only go out with one hand to try and catch that ball because his other hand was getting like held back or the, his other arm was getting held back. Wheel. It's funny in the press box, it didn't look that bad, and and I and even the the cut up that I have. I uh, only see the one play from that side, but you're the third person to say that it was awful now. So I'll, yeah, I believe that it was. I just like the, if you're going to call that one on Renardo, you got to call those two. On anyways, the officiating crew is once again another stellar bunch from the ACC. Oh, there. the Tatum Bethune pass interference. We're going on officiating here. The Tatum Bethune pass interference was not. Let it fly, Get it out. Get it out. It's by that was late. The dude who called it was about as far away from it as I was in the press box. And guess what? Clemson gets a new set of downs. They score a touchdown. Seven points instead of three is a big freaking deal in a game that goes to overtime. Yeah, I didn't think it was disproportionately called. Like, I didn't think they were out to screw FSU or screw Clemson. It was plenty each good. way. Both teams were holding the line screams, but, man, they sucked. And the delay on that P.I. was just like, are you trying to get a segment of the fans in the stands to come down here and try to, like, attempt something they shouldn't attempt on you? 
I mean, come on. If you see it, throw it. It's not a difficult task. It's what you're paid to do. You're a professional, I suppose. My man with a hat would have come down if they didn't call it, though. Yeah. Anyway, someone was making a point, bombs. and that was about and that was about two minutes ago. Um, about the, the about Jordan pass to Keon is where we got, got started on that. Can anyone bring us back? I, I'm completely lost. I just, yeah, I mean the the deep shots. We were talking about that in specific and how it was super inefficient in the game. Where are the slot receivers? Like not not only that they're not targeting them, but they're not on the field a lot. Like Winston Wright and Destin Hill did not play a ton in that game, right? No, I think well, they I mean, a they lot think of two tight they're... ends and more two backs in this game than we've seen so far this year. I just don't get the whole like two tight end thing. It's 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 not something like Jaheim Bell is a mismatch guy. Like he he is he's creating mismatches mismatches in the game. But like yeah. they're Kyle trying Morlock to play positionalist not... footballs. I mean that's what they're. I'm telling you what they're trying to do, and that's the Jaheim Bell. You can move around Morlock. You can move around to an extent, and they're playing Lawrence to Philly a lot because you think you can move him around too. So I think that's what they're trying to do is prevent teams from subbing. Been doing a ton against Boston College, but I think that's part of what they're trying to do. Um, and it, I don't know if it's a matter of like we're just going to keep doing it because it's not working well, but like there's going to be a point where you're going to have to say, well, we may have to spread things out and throw the ball a lot if we can't run and, and try to go there. But I think they just think that's their best personnel grouping. Like that, that's I mean, fair, but it's it's not something that's working, right? Like, I mean, they're averaging they're top ten in the. We're not going. We're not going to sit here and say the offense is efficient right now. The right. offense needs to be be operating at a higher level with the talent that it has, I, I, and it, it can and it should and it probably <coughs> will. The offense is, <clears throat> sorry, the offense is clunky but yet successful. I think is the best way I can describe it through four. And the run game's generally ineffective, so it's even more interesting that they are having success because obviously they're sort of one dimensional. Or teams are so committed to taking one dimension away that you know that's what it is. But it to is me, surprising. Like- but yeah, it, is it what it should be? What it's built to be? Hell no! It's not close to that. A large reason why you you'd want two tight ends in the game is to have that, you know, added uh, blocking bonus in the running game. But that's it hasn't proved to help much at all. Well, they put in biscuit, and everyone got what they wanted with that one. So, um, all right. So, so the offense was very clunky in the second half. I think they fell in love with the deep ball. The lack of the run game is a concern going into the bye week. But but let's fast forward to like positive stuff here. That's two minutes remaining. Uh, Clemson sets up for a field goal. Uh, the Hollywood ending with the Riders on strike. Great line there. Um, and so my wife's at home watching it. And nice day in Tallahassee. Windows open, back door open, uh, kids show. And they missed the field goal. And she could hear people, multiple neighbors, other parts of the neighborhood screaming at the same time. So that was a cool moment where Clemson misses the field goal. Chris, was it wide left or wide right? It was definitely wide left, despite what Sinone initially told me and what I think I initially wrote down. I won't lie. Sometimes on field goals, especially to far ends from where we are in press box, I lose the ball. It's hard completely. to tell. They should have lasers on top of the goalpost. Thank you, Jimbo. I saw some Clemson fans trying to say that it actually went in. Yeah, hard. it did. It didn't. It kind of did from one angle look like it did, but you see the replay very clearly did not. So. Yeah. Cool. So Clemson misses. <laughs> crazy, crazy, crazy turn of events. What what happened? Oh, you guys missed. You guys didn't watch the broadcast. They were making a whole thing out of that freaking kicker. Oh, the entire game. The entire game. Every time he stepped on the field, it was wow. They they called him up out of nowhere and and you know vaulted him into the starting role at kicker. And you know it's just an amazing story. I'm like, dude, like the guy was like just sitting on a beach and gets called up like that. It just shows desperation by Dabo. Like Re- rewind to the start of the Duke game, and the first comment I believe of the season about a Clemson kicker is that the kid that's now been benched, whatever the third, he uh, can kick a seventy yarder according to Dabo. Yeah, because you know Dabo said he can make any bullshit about things. He can make Chris. a seventy yarder. That BS is allowed. The other one's more egregious. Dude, he is um, off the rails. I'm not. I'm on the rails today more than I have been in weeks. No wonder um, this is sponsored by Chattanooga Whiskey, man. But, like, the first comment of the season, he can make 70-yard field goals. Now we're at bringing a guy out of retirement to miss kicks at the end of the game against a rival to lose your game. Like, that's a beautiful Hollywood story about Clemson. A freaking like glorified that. extra point, too. Radio 2. <laughs> they missed it. Wide left. Uh, FSU has a chance. Uh, Jordan hits. That's the first deep shot he hit in the fourth quarter uh, to Johnny. What a great catch was, by Johnny Wilson. Also, like, crazy catch. 
good, like, don't want it to get swept under the rug. Like Johnny Wilson's response after Southern Miss game has been really good. And that's, you're going to need that as that continues throughout the season. Um, the Keon Coleman non, non-call, uh, Zach mentions, and we go to overtime. How, how did Dabo not like try to go tempo and like throw a Hail Mary at the end of regulation? Is that crazy? None of the players, not exactly an agent of change. None of the players, if you look at the broadcast, knew what to do after that Shipley run. Like, well, that's a well, the, the by the way, as long as we're stopping here and, and pooping on Dabo for a little bit, his response to the Kalen Deloach touchdown for him to like fall down to his knees and a player had to kind of pat him on the back to get like, what are we doing, dude? Um, there are a lot of football left too. That's not that's always Dabo, the, though. He's always reacting like that to, to big plays and stuff. So that's just that's crazy. Yeah, um, hated that things aren't working out so well for them. Breaks my heart. Um, overtime. Love that. Love that. Uh, so as much as I'm going to be critical of like Jordan falling in love with the deep shot, I I don't have an issue with him still. And I know it's easy to say because it worked out, but I don't have an issue with you going. He's Keon's one on one against a backup cornerback this time. Like that's he had that YMCA match matchup. He had that YMCA matchup. <laughs> he did it, and uh, it was a good ball. Keon makes the adjustment you need. Uh, Big-time players make big-time plays. Again, we could be critical of many elements of this game, and some things just don't feel as good as they should with the way the offense is clicking. But, like, Jordan Travis, not feeling himself, like not feeling great, um, makes a throw when he has to. Keon Coleman, you bring him in for that reason, to win that kind of play in that kind of game. Huge moment. Clemson gets the ball. Will Shipley, that dude, I, yes, like, he is a dog. Like, I love the way he runs the football, helps you set up a third and short. I didn't have as much of an issue as with the perimeter screen because you had numbers. You had three on on two, and Shane Brown was slow to get over. You get rid of the ball quickly. The issue is number 80 for them doesn't block a freaking soul, and, and that's why you don't get the first down. Like, that should be just like a like a toss. Like, you should get that. just should be a first down. Doesn't happen. Fourth down happens. Fourth and two. Ball behind the wide receiver. I think Pat Payton gets a deflection on it. Ball game. Florida State wins 31 to 24. Let's take a, a moment of reflection, fellas. FSU's 4-0. I know it doesn't always feel as good as you wanted to in that second half of LSU. And that was the standard in the beginning of the year. Like, oh, this team's going to do that to everyone. That hasn't necessarily happened since then, but you're 4-0. And I yeah. do not discredit that. Winning football is hard. You've had a pretty hard schedule to start the year. LSU is a top 15 team. Clemson will be a top 25 team by the end of the year. I'm fairly certain. Um, this is big guys. And we all not, take... we'll enjoy it either way. <laughs> we all take this like hundred percent, right? Like before the yeah, season, we... you say, you say, ah, you may be a little dinged up. You may won't feel great at times about what the team looks like, but you're before, no buy or sell. We all, that's all a buy. We all take that trade off. Yeah. I viewed LSU and Clemson a buy because I viewed LSU and Clemson as coin flips respectively. And in both cases, it landed on the seminal head. And they got two W's in those. So, yeah, they've set themselves up. And the thing is, outside about two quarters of football through the first 16 plus the extra one, they, they've left a lot to be desired. They can be a much better football team than they've been. I think everybody in that building would tell you that. I think they could be a much better defensive team, especially at the point of attack. I think offensively, obviously, we believe they can be a much better running team, which I think will bring some stability, confidence, and overall less clunky, messed up feelings to what the offensive attack has been at times. Um, Before we move on here, let's go over, let's do a, a player of the game on each side of the ball. They'll be sponsored by the battle's end. <clears throat> Kalen Deloach on defense, correct? And uh, are, yeah, we, are we going four for four? Zach's holding four and four, so you're saying the two the two four, Zach? Easily. Keon Coleman, Kalen Deloach, for four and FSU football team, so... Week Fitting. four. Four is a wild. I like it. Okay, uh, let's play a little Byers Sinone, get some context going here, and then we'll get out of the podcast. Um, but, yeah, let's play some Byers Sinone. Who's sponsored by, gentlemen? The, the Turner, Turner Group. Group. Yeah. If you're going to be buying or selling your home, you're thinking about entering the housing market, uh, you want an experienced agent and someone who's going to be a hard worker, who's going to be friendly, uh, and, and someone's going to be able to get deals done. And that's Colin Turner, Amy Turner, Becky, everyone at the Turner Group. Uh, does a phenomenal job for for a, a boutique agency. Their presence is is felt throughout the state because of how hard they work and the connections they have. They can help you get it done. So if you're thinking about entering the market, you don't know where to start, 
their Turner Group is where we recommend you go. Uh, Buyer Sinone, guys, sponsored by the Turner, the Group. Turner Group. Jared Verse is making a major impact on the defense this season, despite not having a sack through four games. I will buy. I think he's played progressively better with each game. Um, but at some point, the sacks do have to come. But I think they will if he keeps playing like he is. Bye. I think a huge knock on – or not, I wouldn't say huge, but one of the biggest knocks on Jared versus game last season was his you know, inability to help a ton in run defense. And I felt like that's kind of been a strength for him, especially the past two games um, against Clemson. He had a super high grade on PFF uh, when it came to – uh, his run defense grade and and we saw multiple times him you know get out on the perimeter and, and stop you know a big play from happening um just via his athleticism and, and play awareness so yeah i think uh i think verse is is gonna be fine um if he continues to play the way he is i think he's gonna the sacks are gonna come uh i agree zach for everything you said uh buyer sinone i'll throw this to you zach uh chris having to deal with julian armella questions are we buying or sinone in it from the message uh, especially after Chris's uh, delivering uh, people that are banned on our site in my DMs. I didn't ban him. Uh, on Julian, yeah, he didn't travel. He wasn't with the team for this one. We're limited in what we can say in certain situations because of injury and availability reports and things of that sort. He didn't travel. It's it's fine. He didn't travel. Stop sweating. Like, like the dude, he played against Southern Miss. I believe he was with them for BC, if I recall correctly. Him and Early both were, if I recall, off the top of my head. I think so. His time will come. He's not – they've consistently talked about having eight and that they'd go there. And I get the question came about because Byers was dreadful and they needed to go away from him. They went to Washington. That would always be the plan unless Rob Scott was available. Then that would obviously change the dynamics. But I don't think they're going further in depth for a game where it's super competitive and running Julian Armella out there, especially against to, an Xavier Thomas. So, they don't um, want to play young players and then have them get hurt like Darius Washington, Marie Smith, Robert Scott. Like, all those guys went through it. Like, and we've talked – like, people know that. Like, I, just, I understand you want to see – like, it's well-documented that that's their strategy. So, I get you want to see the the blue-chip offensive lineman, and he's shown some glimpses of, like, yeah, okay, there's some physicality there, some nice elements. I don't think he's – you had to ask me where he's at in the pecking order, like where I would want him to go. Like I, Darius Washington, would I want him as my swing tackle before then? Uh, Jalen Early, I'd feel more comfortable with. Uh, so he's probably especially like your, on the right side. He's probably your fifth tackle right now, and that's just like he's developing still. So we'll see what that development looks like. But like uh, the expectation that the that we we could move on. Like I don't put. We get put in a bad position sometimes where it's either we're reporting, having to report on something we don't want to report on or crap on a kid. And it's like, if, if he was the best player out to be playing right tackle for them or left tackle, they'd be putting him there and he's not. So cool your tits, everyone. Can I say that? I have already kicked down the wall for this. Uh, I guess so. Twice. Known, Clemson did indeed disrespect Jordan Travis. I don't know if disrespect's the right word. I, I think Clemson uh, – Defenses are picking what are we willing to give up versus what are we trying to take away. Clemson clearly was trying to take away the run and not allow much to the middle of the field. So that gave a lot of one-on-one to the outside with one safety over the top to help. You know, FSU hits two to three more vertical passes of 15 to 30 yards. It's a much different ball game, but they didn't hit them. So, yeah. like, I don't think it was disrespect. I think it was game plan. Uh, so, no, I don't think it was disrespect either. I think, I mean, for the most part, it worked. It was just, you know, them choosing what area of FSC's offense they were trying to stop. And it was successful for the most part of that game. I don't think you can say it's disrespectful if it was a good strategy. FSU's offense scored 17 points in regulation. Buy or Sinone, Jordan Travis is far from 100%. Um, that, that's a buy for me. Uh, far is a big word. I don't, I don't think he's horribly dinged up but i don't think he's ultra comfortable especially when he's having to assert assert himself to throw vertically yeah, so i i am yeah. buying it i guess but i, I don't think to... he's in miserable shape i think he's just not feeling no spring fresh he's not feeling fresh. came at a good time it's just like watching him try to throw like he had to put a ton of torque into throws where he's like spinning his entire body and not like just deep shots, but just like him having to throw some intermediate stuff. Like he did not seem like he had the full range of motion that he would want to have. The unwillingness to run, unwillingness to call design runs with him, I, I think also played into that. I mean, that's anecdotally, yeah, that, that seems to align. 
Sure. Yes. Um, Byers Sinone, the second half defense FSU presented is what it has to look like for the rest of the season. I'm buying that. I desperately want more aggressiveness. Are you cool trading off? Like there's times where yes. they, they got yes. beat one-on-one. You You've got a high-level offense that you expect to be able to score points at a good clip, and you got enough good players on defense that you expect at some point you're going to make a play when you have to make the play. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have a – I would buy that. I, I, I've been saying that, like, maybe it doesn't need to be 40% blitz rate, but 10% blitz rate is, is way too low. I think it needs to be somewhere in between as far as, like, an average throughout a game. Um, but especially against these unexperienced quarterbacks, uh, if there are any on your schedule, like that's, that's how the defense, uh, defensive game plan should be, should be run. Um, in my opinion. All right. My last buyer's known for us before we get out of here. Uh, this is directed to Zach buyer's known my car. Uh, in what sense? Just talk about him, please, and what happened and what's happening. Nikar decommitted from Georgia. He's a four-star wide receiver at Colquitt County High School. That uh, high school sounds familiar. That's where Landon Thomas goes. He's FSU's five-star tight end commit. They're close friends as well as uh, teammates. And Carr is considering FSU now um, that he's opened up his recruitment. I wouldn't consider Florida State like a leader for him. You know, now that he's opened things up, they're definitely in the mix. Dane Draper reported yesterday that Carr has scheduled a visit to Florida State for one of their um, home games this upcoming season. You can read that full report on Knowles247.com. But yeah, I think FSU is one of three or four schools in the mix. I think it's Miami is probably the school that has the most buzz right now with him. Um, I think they've you know been kind of pushing behind the scenes a lot uh, with, with Carr, and I think he's showing them a good amount of reciprocal interest. Florida State like I think it's important to note is still after three other flip targets at the wide receiver position, and they have four receivers committed to them in the 2024 class already. So they're a little tight on numbers. They want to add probably one more. Um, you know, obviously if it's an elite elite guy like Jeremiah Smith, Cam Coleman or Jojo trader, like they probably, you know, work things out with numbers, but that's the situation right now. So I would expect Nikar. um, to, to be on FSU's campus at least one time, one more time this season. I wouldn't be surprised if, if he showed up other times. I think he'll probably get to Miami as well as Auburn um, and even uh, Colorado this season. All right. I was in another window. My another dimension. Were you in another dimension? <laughs> Zach, listen to me here. Hear me out. Do you ever think like when you're driving and you're like, wow, how did I get to this lane or like this? Do you think maybe you died while you were driving? You're like now in another timeline, like your consciousness kind of moved over. I've never had that thought, but I have had the thought of like, have I, like, what have I been doing the last like hour? Like, how am I here right now? You were dead. That's exactly what's happening. I haven't had that This came up between Tifton and Valdosta and dropping Greg. That makes sense. I mean, that's- Brendan's describing this. And I don't don't think me and Greg were ultra receptive to it, to just be honest. One, we both knew we were still alive. And two, we were just kind of worried that like maybe he dropped some shrooms or something before we left my brother's place, and we didn't know. I'm just I mean, happy Chris, that we didn't. I heard Chris was sleeping a good amount. Sleeping? Not yeah. in the car. No, I was oh, wide awake. I kept up with soccer. Did the polls? We went to. I when I weirdest. called you, Brendan, you're like, "Oh, Chris just woke up." No, uh, it's I, I think was it was more like. A- it was it's a shot. I just finished soccer. Yeah. Yes. I was. didn't like how intense I was for 110 minutes. Dude, that was a crazy game. That finish. Yeah, you score with two seconds left. That's the latest goal I've ever seen in FSU soccer history. I presume it is. I don't know that it definitely is, but I'm going to go ahead and say yes, it is. This Brent, was him coming you... to life. Zach was he like was following along. He had just a ton of stuff happening. A lot of stimulation in the car. Kid show. Uh, he had Sunday ticket, some multiple NFL games going. Uh, we were playing on the radio. He was watching the soccer game as well. Uh, and then he was about to all depressed, closing, closing down the windows because soccer was about to lose. And he turned off like the, he turned off the live stream and he goes, Oh shoot. And he, and I'm like, what? While driving a little bit alarming when someone starts screaming something, he's like, they just scored. And I just closed out the soccer windows and he just started opening back up everything again and, and got the story posted. But it was like, he gave up on the soccer team. 
He Did he lick his lips while uh, opening the There were 15 the seconds left, and they had to go kick a corner. I'm like, game over. Little Is there anything else about the football program that we need to talk about right now? I would like to do a bi-week podcast. We'll see. If we I think they come out of Dubai better than they were before Dubai, which is a scary proposition when you're 4-0 and you have two of the better victories in the country. October is going to be much more forgiving on paper, knock on wood, than last October was. Uh, you have Virginia Tech, you have Syracuse, and you have Duke all at home, and then you go up to Wake Forest, and Wake doesn't look great. November yeah. will be interesting because Miami has a pulse. Uh, and then you got Florida at the end of it. So – but I think FSU will be favored in almost every single, if not every single one of these games remaining. You're 4 0. Again, I know our tone at times has been frustrated, uh, but but this is a 4 0 football team and yeah. it's a flawed 4 0 team. But like you have that glimmer of what they can be based on that LSU second half. And like that is in the arsenal. They put it all together. It's a team that can legitimately compete for a national championship. So it's going to be a fun. Uh, final two-thirds of the season. All right. Thank you to all of our sponsors. We appreciate your, your patronage. Please patronize our patrons uh, and support the people who support us. Uh, thanks to Zach Lawson, Chris Nee for joining me. Everyone, thank you for listening. It's been a fun ride so far this season. Keep chipping away and see what happens. We're on the bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. We'll talk to you guys later. Peace.